Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Jew Down. Sometimes it's, well, I could say it's an ignorant thing. But I've grown up where people use this offensive term, and the definition I looked up says to haggle with someone in order to achieve a lower price for something. So maybe you've used this in your life. I don't recommend ever using it again. But you go to negotiate, and you say, well, let's see if we can Jew them down. From the prejudiced and stereotypical perception that Jewish people are stingy and extortionate, you Jew them down. So isn't it interesting, it's fascinating the words we use, terminals we use, we capture words like this, perceptions like this, and use them in our language, and by even describing negotiating, we put Jews down by saying, Jew them down. And then people, it's amazing, I never meet many people who use their mother's name to curse, their father's name to curse, their grandparents' name to curse. Boy, you get upset. Jesus Christ. And God is damning all this and that. And all of a sudden, God gets brought into everything. Very fascinating how this all works. So let's start in Genesis chapter 12. A lot going on in our world all the time. And it can get a little perplexing. So let's look at the book. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, pretty quick, you see this guy named Abram, and you say, well, who's Abram? I thought it was Abraham. His name was Abram from birth, and then when God made a covenant with him, the sound of God's name, Ham, Yahweh, was inserted, so it's Abraham, and that's who he becomes. And the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And then look at this, what he says to him. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Picks him out, one man chooses him and out of this lineage, out of this family. And doesn't just say, I'm going to bless you, but he says... I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. you got to be really careful about cursing Abraham and his seed and his lineage because that's what he told him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and this is talking about the promised land and when God takes them into the promised land. I've been to Israel a couple of times. That's a funky place. And this is jumping way down the road here a little bit, but I've stood on, the, on a high place looking over the plain of Megiddo where supposedly the Armageddon is going to take place. You think they, is that the only place they can find to fight? And then the whole world's going to descend on that piece of real estate. You say, well, who owns Israel? Last I checked, the deed was in God's name, right? You say, well, what does he care about dirt? Well, I'm dirt and he cares about me, right? 
So look at what it says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So why did he say take them out? Don't have any, get away from them, because they will turn you away. And how many times do you see people who marry non-believers, it's unfortunate they don't pull those people in, missionary marriages don't always work. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Verse 6, for you are a holy people, a set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You say, well, what in the world? Why would God pick them? What's, what's the big deal? I'd quit trying to figure that out. He picked them. Of all the people on the earth, he picks Abram, his descendants, he picked them, the Jews. That's it. The Lord did not set his love on you. Now look at the explanation for this picking and the motivation for it. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. It's not because there were more of you than anybody else. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So what is his ultimate motivation? He loved them. Now, it's hard to even explain this because we're so far down the road from the cross. Man, I shouldn't have a shot, right? He, he picked them. Well, I'm not born Jewish. I don't have any lineage there. I'm a Gentile. I'm an outsider, why would he have anything to do with me? And we'll read these verses in a minute. Then he comes along and goes, guess what? I choose you too. What? I'm a part of the family? It's extraordinary. And we know how that's made possible. And we'll get to that in a minute as well. So one more time, verse seven, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath that he swore. I did not know for too many decades that he loved me. Did not know that. I knew it, said it in here, I did not know that. You have to get to the place where you realize that he loves you. And you can't explain that. It doesn't make any sense. I don't deserve it, but he loves me. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, let's just stop here a minute and say, then why do so many people hate Jews? Ultimately, the answer is they hate God. So anybody that has anything to do with God, they hate. Now, this is where I get in trouble, but I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be mean. It's fascinating even in this country now. Jewish, you'll be hated. Christian, you'll be hated. Anything else, they don't care. We'll put up with anything. But the second you say Jesus, the second you say Jew... They're coming for you. 
You say, well, why do they hate Jews? Why, why does the world hate Christians? They hate God. And they hate his son. And you've got to stop being surprised. The scripture even says this, marvel not that the world hates you. It's just the way it is. They hate him, they're going to hate you. Now go to John chapter 4. If you know John chapter 4, great. If you don't, it's about this woman at a well that Jesus encounters. The guy's going to town to buy food, come back. He's talking to this lady, and she's such a piece of work. She can't even go in the cool of the day when the women normally get water. She's got to go by herself to this well. And there's this conversation, and, you know, you give me water. You know, I'll give you living water. So he's got her going. And then down in verse 4, let's see, 4, 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've well said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you truly spoke. Now that'll rattle you right there. Oh, technically I don't have a husband. Sure. Yeah, what about the five and then, the, you know, you're living with somebody. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, why else are Jews so important? Salvation came through the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Now look at this exchange. She knows, this is a Samaritan woman, but she knows Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, she says, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the guy. Now what a moment. Salvation is of the Jews, and I am the Messiah. Galatians chapter 3. Let's just jump in here at verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? See, you wonder where TV shows get their names. It's all in the Bible. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So he believed, he trusted God, he had faith in God, and that was righteousness, that it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Now, how is the gospel in there? Through Abraham's seed, Messiah would come, and that's how all nations would be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you violated any of the law, you're cursed but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for, quote, the just shall live by faith. 
Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I'm no longer cursed. I'm no longer sentenced to death. I'm no longer going to end up in hell. For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So when he dies on that cross, he's cursed to remove the curse from me, from you, from us. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak to you in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, capital S, who is Christ. And this I say that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What promise then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come, capital S again, Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So righteousness would have been by keeping the law. No one can keep the law. The law was put in place to prove we couldn't keep it. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law was used to teach us, yes, and then we realize, I need Jesus. I can't do this. I can't figure this out by myself. I can't save myself. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So yes, God picks the Jews. And the world tries to put the Jews down. One article I read said, Satan has tried to wipe out the Jews through the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Hittites, and the Nazis. And he can't do it. And by the way, while you're thinking about things that are going on in the world, this thing about hating Jews, it is not that they don't want them to have a certain place. They don't want them to be a people. They don't want them to even be alive. They want them obliterated. And the mullahs in Iran, which was originally Persia, They've come out and said, if we get a nuclear weapon, we'll launch a nuclear weapon on Israel, kill six million Jews, wipe them out from the face of the earth, and if they launch weapons on us, we will trade six for six. We will give up six million Iranians to take out the Jews. That's how much they hate them, how much they hate Israel. It's a perplexing thing. Then you go to Psalm 122 and talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, that things might be secure with you. And I don't know about you, you say, well, you're getting political or something. I'm glad I live in a country for as long as I've been alive, they pick Israel. You don't want to be messing with Israel. You don't want to get on the wrong side of this. 
Because this whole bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, I don't want to mess with God. So I pray for Israel. I do pray that people will be saved. And by the way, when we're on, you know, people say, well, Arabs and Muslims, and not all Arabs are Muslims, not all Muslims are Arabs. And the whole problem with the Arab conflict deal is you got Arabs claiming to be from Ishmael, which is Abraham's son with Hagar, and they've been upset because Isaac's the guy. And so you got these two people claiming Abraham, but the promise is through Isaac. So it's a mess. It's going to be a mess. It's not going to stop being a mess until the end. But let me tell you, just really kind of in the middle of all this, something that I encourage you to do. I talk to people who work with Muslims specifically. And if they're in this country or you're in another country, don't look at them like they're aliens from another planet. Speak to them. Be kind to them. What, do you turn Jesus off when you see a Muslim? Oh, but they hate. You don't know that person. What if they had a dream the night before and Jesus appeared to them and said, someone's going to come to you and tell you of me. And it was supposed to be you. We got all kind of crazy prejudices and reasons why we don't love people. Well, they don't look like me. How about you don't look like them either? And then you're kind. Then when you're kind and loving and what Jesus would be to them, then they respond when you speak of Jesus. They go, wow, that matches up. You can use the Quran to teach Jesus. He's in the Quran. Stop looking at people on the outside. From henceforth, know no man after the flesh. See them who they could be in Christ. There's lots of Muslims getting saved, lots of Arabs getting saved, lots of Jews getting saved. Something's going on. Jesus is coming back. So we put the Jews down. They keep getting back up. Now go to Acts chapter 9. Let me read you really quick here about one of these Jews who was down. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the quote-unquote the way, Christians, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not Christians, me. Because when you persecute Christians, you are persecuting Jesus. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, and by the way, that's a good question. When you have an encounter with Jesus, once you figure out it's him, first question, what do you want me to do? And he said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So they couldn't say nothing happened. They heard it. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. So now his eyes are open, but he can't see. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And then the story unfolds that God leads him to a Christian man who's terrified of him, and here we go. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 13. And the guy that he sent him to was Ananias, and he's recounting this story, verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And here's what God told Ananias. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So you can put the Jews down. You can put a Jew like Paul down. But God raises them up. And then I'd like you to go to John chapter 19. And if you read the whole chapter, you'll discover pretty quickly that it's the crucifixion of Jesus. And in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Now, what does that mean? His blood is being shed. He's on a cross. He's done everything the Father told him to do. That's how he could die a sinless sacrifice. He's hanging on the cross. And that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now he said, well, there's another Jew down. It's over. It ain't over. The world is going to keep coming after Jews. It's going to keep coming after Christians. They're going to try everything in their power. And I said this the other day, I am so grateful for the book of Revelation, because if not, I'd probably be a little freaked out. I sneak over there every once in a while, read and go, okay, it's going to be okay. I did a radio show the other day, a caller from somewhere in the country. It's this show where they call in and can ask any Bible question they want to ask. It's a little freaky, actually, because I'm like, I don't know the Bible that well. So um, <laughs> not for like anything. And the guy calls in, he said, he's, I think he said his pastor had told him that, you know, Jesus was coming back in, uh, I think it was 20-something, he had the date and the year. And I said, well, first of all, that's not right. Don't listen to that. Not, you know, no one knows but the Father. But I said, you know, here's what I would suggest. Get your attorney. Go sit down with a man and draw up a will where he signs over all of, you know, assigns his will to you the following day. If he's going to be gone, we wouldn't want all that just sitting there. <laughs> you find out how, what somebody believes really quick. So I don't know when he's coming back, but I'll tell you this. They tried to put him down and God raised him from the dead. And he said he's coming back. He's coming back. Now, I may be already there when he comes back here, but it's sure feeling like he could come back before I get there. So what manner of people should we be? You don't want to be a Jew down. You want to be a Christian up. Up and ready. Night cometh when no man can work. So what do you do? You wake up and say, okay, God, I got another day here. And this day could be the day when you return. And so I need to be vigilant. I need to be watch and pray. But while I'm watching and praying, I need to be radar scanning and live the life that you intended, always ready to give a reason for the hope that's within me. I mean, what a better way to go. You're sharing the gospel with somebody and Jesus comes back. Maybe they get saved while it's happening and boom, they're out of here like the thief on the cross. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page along with all of Richard's messages. 
You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. I highly recommend praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for Jews, but engage with people. Because even Jews that are Jews, if they don't believe in Jesus, and this is some people say, oh, no, they're all going to make it no matter what. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And that applies to Jews and Gentiles. So you will never see a Jew in heaven that was not saved the same way you were saved. Jesus. There ain't no backup bride. Nobody, you know, there's no other way around it. So give them Jesus. We have a young lady in our church, raised Jewish, became a Christian, tough relationship with her family. But Jesus saved her. He saved me. And he can save you. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. <music>